Welcome to the Firestarter Podcast. People, ideas, and conversations that move us forward. I'm your host, Willa Kammerer, and it's my passion, my purpose, and my business to make the world a better place through storytelling, which is why we're here today. We'll talk to mission-driven entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and investors, thought leaders, researchers, and experts on the front lines of the world's most pressing issues about designing and thriving in careers of impact. My guest today is Hans Mansk, author of the inspirational leadership book For All, Democratizing Big Ideas. Hans is a principal at The Clearing, a small Washington, D.C.-based management consulting firm focusing on partnerships that unlock true transformation. With over 15 years of experience in coaching, team development, and strategy across the private, public, and nonprofit sectors. His book speaks to all types of leaders looking to access the next version of themselves by better understanding their networks and environments through the lens of big ideas. Hans advocates for both rising and established leaders based on his core belief that humans are the strongest when bringing their full selves to creating positive change. Drawing upon his own personal strength and vulnerability, he endeavors to help people use their stories, curiosity, and network to create better outcomes and unlock higher levels of performance. In today's conversation, we discuss the power of curiosity, networks, and radical self-honesty in relation to our professional and personal lives. I'm so excited to bring you this conversation with Hans and hope that it inspires the leader in all of you. Hi, Hans. Welcome to the show. So thrilled to have you here. Good morning, Will. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So you are a principal at the DC-based management consulting firm, The Clearing, which is a very interesting seeming place. And you're the author of For All, De- uh, Democratizing Big Ideas, which I just love the title and the philosophy behind it. And we're going to delve into that more deeply a bit later in our conversation. But, you know, first a little context here. Um, we met at Middlebury College um, and in reading a bit more about your background through your book and just our conversations, you know, I... I understand that we were both drawn there for the liberal arts college experience, the opportunity to explore many things, follow our curiosity, and and also explore the interconnections between disciplines and ideas. And um, it seems like curiosity has been a real through line for you. I'd just love for you to reflect on that, you know, how curiosity has really played a role in your pathway. Absolutely. Um, When... One story that I'll open with that's near the beginning of my book is as a young boy, um, one of the things that fascinated me the most, I would say, is this strange effect that I noticed um, in our home. And I I lived in a a home with my mom and dad and my brother in San Antonio, Texas. It's an old house built in the 30s, I believe. And um, in my in my parents' bedroom, there is a little alcove where their closets are and uh, two full-length mirrors facing each other. So you could kind of stand in the middle. And one thing that I noticed as a young boy, I mean, maybe four or five years old, I would say, is that um, if you look into one of those two mirrors, you will see the reflection of the other mirror. And it's kind of a an infinity of reflections is how I thought about it as a, as a child. So receding off into the, into the distance with seeming no end um, is the reflection of the other mirror. So it looked like actually a, a hallway of mirrors going both ways, which 
blew my mind, completely fascinated me as a as a young boy. And the question that popped into my mind pretty much every time that I stood there and, and gazed into that mirror was why? Why does this happen? Um, what's what's behind this? What's the uh, I didn't have the words for it yet, but right, but like, what's the science? What's the cause uh, that that makes this strange, strange thing happen in the world? And um, growing up, I uh, both my mom and my dad were high school teachers, now retired, um, but I had this uh, deep and abiding sense that I could ask them pretty much any question and get an answer, a satisfactory answer. Um, so I did that a lot, I asked a lot of why questions and. That sense of curiosity is uh, a big part of what underpins uh, my book and, and and that effort, also my decision to undergo that process. So that's a little bit about um, my kind of natural sense of curiosity. And um, I still, you know, now in my career, in my life as a more or less grown adult, um, ask those why questions probably every day. So that sense of curiosity is alive and well. I love that. So, so walk us through your your pathway after college. You know, your career pathway that led you to where you are today. Yeah, um, uh, like a lot of things, right? Post post college um, and starting to embark into the working world, um, I had a, a general sense of some things I was interested in, but certainly did not know what I wanted to be when I grew up. That's for sure. So. Um, one of my good friends that I grew up with in San Antonio, uh, Texas had moved to DC as well and knew about this, uh, company, which was the predecessor to the clearing, um, and, uh, decided, said, you know, look, Hey, they're, they're interviewing, they're trying to find good young people. Some people right out of college, um, that are good writers, good speakers, good listeners, et cetera. Uh, I didn't know how to spell business or management consulting, uh, but I said, sure, why not? Let's give it a shot. Um, uh, again, that sense of curiosity, right? I wanted to learn a little bit about this thing that I knew nothing about. And um, that's how I actually got into this field. So a little bit of luck, um, uh, a little bit of being in the right place at the right time, knowing a good a good person. Um, as I said, like a lot of things happen uh, post-college. So that's kind of how I got into this field. And um, the last 16 or 17 years or so have been just a lot of exploration and curiosity, discovering new things, um, new types of work, new people, new areas to apply what I'm learning uh, within. And that's kind of how I got here. So um, as I've reflected on my career so far, kind of, you know, a, a little a little ways in, one of the things that stands out to me is um, how, how fortunate I've been, how lucky I have been, and um, how much being in the right place at the right time, knowing the right people has affected, uh, positively affected my career, and um, especially how much that is not the case for, for everyone and, certain, and for a lot of people. So um, that was one of the things that I was holding as I thought about writing this book, and what I wanted to write it about is how can I give back a little bit? Uh, to, to people who maybe were not in the right place at the right time or had less access um, than I did. And so that's that's something that's been important to me uh, throughout my career and something that I tried to express in my book as well. Definitely. Yeah. So this idea of democratizing, you know, how did how did you come to that? Because, you know, you could have decided to write just for a professional audience, which would have been, you know, a noble writing a book is a noble endeavor. But um, but, you know, I, I appreciate that you did have that you know, I'd love you to just kind of reflect on that a little bit more. Definitely. 
Yeah, the the one of the reasons that 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 approach to this project was important to me is is just as I said, right? I um with the benefit of of hindsight and some perspective now in my life and career, one it's just uh, a, a a bright flashing neon light type sign in my head that um says you've been extremely extremely fortunate. Um and you've benefited from a lot of knowing the right person, again, being in the right place, et cetera. And that's not the case for most people, um, not just for some. And as I was thinking about kind of uh, toying with ideas for this book, um, there were, I, I've always loved ideas. And uh, there have been, there, there's a handful of ideas that have um, shifted, pivoted my, my career, my life, and uh, so I knew I wanted to do something with that, right? And what I was really lacking a hypothesis, right? It's like, great, you've got a handful of ideas. That's interesting. Uh, but so what? And so as I reflected, this idea of um, democratization kind of floated to the surface for me. And um, I, I've been doing a lot of work um, in the equity and inclusion space lately. And so this felt like a really natural connection point and, and also just a way that I could give back um, to uh, the brilliant people that I have worked with, uh, lived alongside, and especially more lately in my career that I've met um, as I've done some coaching work too um, with younger people in the leadership development space. So that was a little bit about the hypothesis of, um, of this idea of democratization and kind of leveling the playing field from an equity perspective, which um, every day that goes by becomes more and more important to me. Definitely. Well, many threads to continue exploring on the, on the book front. I just kind of back to your kind of pathway. I, I understand you also, you know, took a couple of turns that, you know, before you got to the consulting, um, journalism publishing, is that right? So it wasn't That's right. there were a couple of, you know, tributaries before you kind of arrived at the main event. And, you know, what, what did you learn through, you know, your, your stops along the way? That's a great question. Um, the short answer is I learned what I did not want to do with those it, it following those those tributaries so that's a great um analogy i would say um as right when i got uh, graduate when we graduated from middlebury i uh was pretty convinced that the my future lay somewhere in the journalism world so i gave that a shot um after i moved to dc i um was a freelance journalist for a couple of uh, small publications here and i learned pretty quickly that um the the way that that work was framed was not for me and what i mean by that is uh the the mostly the pace of the work i found it difficult to be thoughtful um in a really short term deadline based uh way of working and so after uh, a year and a half or so of doing that pretty quickly realized that that was not for me right um it, i enjoyed the writing but not the work and the approach and um, you mentioned publishing as well. So I, I, I worked um, as a uh, the most junior book editor of all time, I would say, at um, a publisher here in DC called CQ Press, uh, Congressional Quarterly. And again, right, learned for, for different reasons, um, because of different things that that work was not for me. But as I um, look back on it, I'm, I'm very grateful for both of those experiences. And um, that's something that I've taken with me throughout my career is um, 
trying things out, right? Experimenting and learning about new things and trying new approaches, uh, trying on new ideas, et cetera. Um, oftentimes what's most valuable from those experiences is great. Now I have this kinesthetic thing, right? That I can think about and call on and maybe it was something I really enjoyed and maybe not. Right. But I'm taking something important away from that and, um, course correcting, thinking about how I want to proceed from here. So that's a, that's a little bit more about background, um, from me, uh, pre rather, uh, management consulting. Yeah. I mean, I think it's this, I think learning through contrast is a really powerful thing in our lives, you know, learning, okay, that that's not how I want to feel. That's not how I want my day-to-day, you know, rhythms to be. And, um, that's not what I want to engage with. And, um, I have to imagine it's just given you more clarity and conviction, you know, about everything that you're doing now and the, the sense of alignment that you feel, you know, in your current work. Absolutely. Yeah. That, um, it's easy, especially boy, especially in the last two, two and a half years here to, uh, feel and be overwhelmed. I know it is for me. Um, so much is going on in our work and personal lives. Um, and the boundaries, I think most importantly for me, at least are, are even more blurry than they ever have been before. Right. They were never super clear for me, <laughs> uh, by design mostly beforehand, but, um, with the lack of that, that clarity and focus, sometimes I so value the ability to say, you know what, I'm going to just um, cross this one thing off of this infinite list of potential options, things, areas, uh, forking paths, etc. So um, I think that that's a that, that that's a big piece of learning for me. Absolutely. Definitely. I mean, let's talk about the, this a little bit. We are, you know, recording in this exceptional time. We're kind of <laughs> about to enter, you know, the second year of the pandemic. We're kind of back back in the midst of another surge. How, how have you been navigating it? How has it been for you? Um, and, you know, I think we all started to sort of return to a semblance of a newer normal, but kind of getting getting on with our lives. And then, you know, here we are, here we are again. And that's, that's hard to to get comfortable with, and there's a lot of uncertainty on the horizon. So, I also feel like these these big ideas that you talk about in your book they help us. You know, they help us with their their big ideas. They're kind of timeless um, human questions and frameworks, and they help us navigate some of these uncertainties and life's biggest questions. Absolutely, yeah. That's a uh, great framing. I would say wh- how, how I think about it um, is, you know, the the last two, two and a half years here, simultaneously, the the best of times and the worst of times is how I think about it. Um, uh, I, so much of our shared experience in this during the pandemic has been um, the, the the hardship and the the negativity and the, and the tragedy that I think has surrounded us all as we have very, very painfully learned um about this, about the situation, what we can and cannot do, um, and approaching this from a public health perspective, um, that's hard. And there's a lot of, of, of shared uh, trauma there, to be frank. And uh, the also at the same time, there has been for me personally, and for, uh, for my loved ones, um, a lot of goodness and, uh, and a, a lot of layered um, positivity, I would say, that's been built in these last couple of years, and um, the 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 book writing effort is a perfect example of that. I do not know um, 
I don't know if I would have been able to complete that in the way that I did in the time that I did without 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 COVID and the coronavirus. Um, I, I liken it to, uh, you know, something that a lot of people say is if I just had two, three, four, five, six months alone in a cabin in the woods with a typewriter, I could do this, right? If I had that sense of, um, of, of solitude and focus and all of those things, then this is something that I could do and tackle. And that's exactly how I felt um, in the early days of 2020 when I was really diving headfirst into the book writing effort. So um, that sense of frankly, of, of disconnection um, in the early days was was a great gift for me from the, in that very strange and particular way. So um, as I said, best of times and worst of times, but um, I love your characterization too of the ideas that are in this book. Those are the um, the ones that have, have been big tipping points for me personally and professionally. And I think that they are uh, more important and more vital now than, they, than ever. Yeah. I mean, I'd say the same thing about launching this podcast, you know, it was, I, I believe August of 2020 that I first had the idea as I was out for a hike, you know, masking as I passed pastor passerbys on the trail in New Hampshire and, you know, had this, I, I just really wanted to, you know, connect with people and ideas. And I think if, if there hadn't been this space created by our kind of virtual environment and um, just the kind of shakeup of, of our rhythms, I don't know that I would have felt the same need and interest in connecting. And I think I also would have found a lot of roadblocks like, oh, I, you know, need to figure out how to record it in person. And that's a lot to do technically. And, you know, but, but we were thrown into this virtual world and, and in some ways it, it made a connecting like this a lot easier and a lot, a lot more normal. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'd love to, you know, dive more into, into the substance of the book. Can you talk about some of the big ideas that you outline in your book and, and particularly the ones that have had the biggest personal impact in your life? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'll just name a few. There are, there's uh, around about 10 or so different uh, big ideas in the book, kind of discrete ideas that I take a deep dive into. I'll, I'll just name two or three right now that um, are really standing out for me uh, personally right now, especially at this part in that kind of the post-publication process and with some of the really cool conversations that I've gotten to have with friends and family and clients um, in the work in my life around the book. So uh, probably the one that is showing up most for me, and it's it's funny, Will, I made, you made me think about it again when you're talking about what has this time in the pandemic been like, um, especially early in the book writing process, this one was uh, A number one and two and three, I would say, and that's imposter syndrome, um, which is a, a, an idea and a concept that a lot of people are familiar with. Um, what I would say is throughout my career and maybe more right now than ever before, that has that's show, that, that is showing up for me. Um, I... The, the the classic way that it manifests right showed up for me as I was writing and then publishing this book. Um, who am I to write a book? What do I have to share with the rest of the world that would be worthwhile, interesting? No one will care. Um, th there's a hundred and fifty thousand people probably in a ten mile radius that have uh, better stories, more important perspectives on and on and on and on and on, right? All of those uh, insidious ways that this that the idea of, of imposter syndrome shows up. And um, I guess for me, what 
was most surprising and, and most validating at the same time was um, I, I, I knew it was a thing. I knew that uh, it you know wasn't just something that I was experiencing, although that was a relatively uh, recent kind of discovery for, for me personally. But um, I, as I was doing research on the book, uh, hearing the, the stories and the anecdotes from people um, to, from, from two different perspectives. One, uh, people that I, in my life, that um, help, have helped lead me and lead organizations um, that I respect immensely, um, suffering through that same sense of imposter syndrome that I did. And, uh, and then also people that I would say uh, that, that are some household type names that by any measure, by anyone's measure in any time, uh, I think that we would all consider to be luminaries and highly overwhelmingly successful, right? Um, this, this idea of imposter syndrome shows up the exact same way for them. So there's, for me, there was a lot of comfort in that sense of, I think I always knew it wasn't just me, but seeing it, you know, seeing it on paper, hearing it out loud, um, and, and hearing people talk through it was a, was a, was a big shift for me. So, um, imposter syndrome is, is, is one that I think is, um, showing up really big for me right now. The other one that I'll highlight really quickly is a, um, uh, an idea that comes from the Japanese island of Okinawa, and it's called Ikigai. And it's the um, intersection of um, a number of items, but basically what it boils down to is thinking about and being radically attuned to, to your personal purpose, right? So um, especially here in the West, we equate uh, purpose and value in lots of different ways. But a really common one is um, I am professionally and financially successful, which is not nothing. Um, but that, 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 that is just one of the four kind of points, um, on the, the, the compass. I like to think of them, the four cardinal points, North, South, and even North, South, East, and West for Ikigai. Um, and it lies at the middle of, uh, a, a number of different characteristics. So, uh, ways that you can contribute, um, to the well-being of others, um, what you can be financially successful at or with, um, and other factors as well. And, it's a um, it's an idea. It's a thing that down to almost down to a man and a woman on um, the island of Okinawa in Japan. If you said, T "Talk to me about what your ikigai is. What is your this um, deep sense of personal purpose in a larger context as well, and how do you fit into that?" They can rattle that off to you right off the top of their head, right? And find ways to align what they do on a day to day basis. Uh, their personal relationships connect all of those things back into the into their own personal guy. So um, again, it's a it was a big idea, right? There's a lot in that to unpack, and um, the there's this big sense of gravity for me with that idea and all of the others in my book as well that um, just really draws me to them. Right, that can take a lot of complexity and boil it down to something really elegant that's relatively easy to wrap your head around. So those are two that stand out for me right now: um, imposter syndrome and ikigai. Well, I'm so glad you brought up ikigai. It was definitely on my uh, on my list of things that I wanted to discuss with you because um, similarly, I was really struck by that concept when I first learned about it um, a couple of years ago. I think I, I read an article about it and ended up just writing. I kind of 
can't help myself. I just have tons of white sticky notes everywhere with scribbles and notes and quotes and, you know, and one of them was just, you know, this white sticky note within, you know, a, a red marker, just Ikigai. And I didn't know how to pronounce it until I looked it up last night. But, <laughs> um, and then it felt so serendipitous, you know, when, when I read your book about a year ago or whenever it was that it came out and um, I saw that and I saw the the Venn diagram, um, which I hadn't seen before and just, you know, was again, similarly struck by it. Um, is there, is there an exercise that listeners can go through to try to kind of understand this for themselves? Yeah, it's a great question. And I've, uh, I've got a copy of my book. Here. I'm going to um, leaf through it just so I can quickly show the the image if I can find it, but there absolutely is. That's a great question. Um, what I would say is, and I want to find the Venn diagram image um, because j- just to, to use as a, here we go, I found it. Um, let me hold it up. So yeah, so you can see the, the Ikigai image there. Um, the one way that you can do an exercise is just recreate a version of this Venn diagram on a on a piece of paper, maybe a whiteboard, chalkboard, whatever you have handy, essentially, um, and and do a, an exercise, right? It sounds like we're both pretty familiar with, just find a bunch of sticky notes, draw up a, a blank Venn diagram and replicate um, this image that's in the book here. Um, and then think about those those prompts, right? Um, what I am, what am I good at? Um, and just brainstorm, right? Jot down on a sticky note what comes to mind with, well, okay, I'm good at X and Y and Z and one, two, three, right? Write those up um, and move them into that part of the Venn diagram. And basically, I think about it as responding to each of the four prompts, right, that are in that that four-sided Venn diagram that is the Ikigai image. So um, what you're good at, what you can be paid for, uh, what what your your passion, right? What makes you feel excited to wake up in the morning and just thinking about each of those as a, a prompting question uh, and jotting down your ideas on a sticky note, right? So the really interesting part then comes um, in the intersections in between those spaces, right? Well, what is something that I am uh, both passionate about and um that I'm actually good at. I excel in this thing that I am passionate about, right? Like thinking about the overlaps in those spaces, um, eliminating sticky notes as uh, you know, as they as they do or do not fit into those uh, those spaces in between those four prompts. Um, and as you get closer and closer to the kind of center of that Venn diagram image, you're getting closer to your to your ikigai, right? So. Um, that's the rough exercise. The art of it for me comes in, um, if, and when you get to the right into the center, right, which is the, the sweet spot, that's where your ikigai lies. Um, taking a look at the, uh, the sticky notes or, or what have you, maybe if you've got a whiteboard, just what you've written up there, um, looking at that raw data and then thinking about how you could express that idea, that concept of personal purpose, um, in a way that is compelling for you. And most importantly, that it's sticky for you, right? That it's something that you're going to be able to, uh, take and hold and remember, and then most importantly, apply out in the real world and in your life. So that's, um, that's one exercise that, that I've used, uh, in the past with this idea of Ikigai to a great effect and, um, doesn't cost any money. And can be done in, you know, 20, 30 minutes, depending on how deeply you want to uh, dive into each of those prompts and then um, 
how quickly I would say you're able to make those connections between the spaces in between. But that's one to consider. Well, I have my sticky pads and my pens ready and I, I can't wait to, you know, go through that. I love that. You know, it's kind of like a design thinking approach to, you know, just Absolutely. Kind of free flow with things to not, you know, edit yourself a lot. And then, um, you know, there is something liberating about just kind of putting individual ideas on individual sticky notes, because then you can just, you know, eliminate and try to kind of distill down to, yeah. to the essentials. Yeah, well said. And I would, you know, one other thing that I'll mention too is um, what's especially fascinating for me is um, to complete a version of that exercise at different points in time, right? So uh, maybe, and maybe even in different settings, if that's a, a possibility, right? Um, and so I've tried to do that, you know, in the in the comfort of my own home here a couple of times and, and then out in different places. Um, we, we live really close to Rock Creek Park here in DC. And that's, a um, one of my favorite parts about the, 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 the neighborhood in DC where we live is that we have easy access to that beautiful big space. Um, and, uh, as I am able to find myself in, a in open space in the, in the wilderness, even though it's still in the middle of DC, um, I find my, the way that I think and the way that I approach an activity like that changes completely. So, um, that's something else that I would offer is think about, um, how your, your surroundings and your environment and the settings, um, can, can have a big impact. Um, and what, and, and, and really critically what might shift, right. Um, what, what you might think about differently, how you might characterize things differently with a change of, a change of scenery. I'm in complete agreement. And I know it was no accident that I conceived of this podcast idea while I was on the trail hiking, you know, there you go. staring at my computer. So, <laughs> yeah, big, big fan of that as well. Um, did you, as you were writing the book, did you bring perspectives, kind of um, preconceived notions into the writing process that just simply don't, didn't hold up, you know, once you started doing more conversations, reading research? Oh, yeah. Uh, too many to name, I would say. Um, I, uh, j just to, to name it, I, I went through a pretty unique, uh, writing and then editing and publishing process. I was, uh, a part of a program called the Creators Institute, which is affiliated with Georgetown University here in, in Washington, DC. Um, and, the the, you know, billboard level store ver version of the story on the Creators Institute is, uh, you go from, uh, an idea to holding a, you know, a published hard copy of your book in your hand in 12 months. And um, for, I, I'll never forget, first time I heard that, I said, it, no, just no way, it, impossible um, for anyone, especially for me, right? And, and I'm a high context person, um, takes me time, right? I want to be, I want to be thoughtful and consider um, different tasks and ideas and things from a hundred different angles, right? Which just results in being slow, basically, um, when it comes to that. And so at any rate, um, some of the preconceived notions that I brought into that process, right, which was already blowing my mind, um, was I know, um, I know I can write and write fairly well. And that came from my, um, you know, my previous life, we talked a little bit about the journalism and, um, and, and, and book editing phases of my career, um, a little bit earlier, but, um, I was astonished at the, uh, both the velocity and then the quality at which I was able to produce and then refine and upgrade my own 
my own words and my own thinking with the help of someone else. So um, having a good quality, um, not just a copy editor, right? I, I was really fortunate with my publisher, New Degree Press, to have someone um, that I could bounce ideas off of, right? That gave me real um, in-depth critical feedback about this is a cool thing that you're writing about, but I have no clue how it's connected to the rest of your your narrative, your hypothesis, or the the arc of where you're taking this particular chapter. So, um, I I think I was thinking that the book writing process was a, a far more solitary effort than it actually ended up being, and that that um, little myth that I had in my head was quickly dispelled as I as I got into it. Um, it's the classic, you know, takes a village sort of idea. Um, the only way that this book came to be was um, lots of ideas and input and help and belief in me from people at the Creator in- Creators Institute at New Degree Press, my publisher, and of course at the Clearing, who I wrote this book in, in partnership with a lot of colleagues and mentors um, at my work as well. Well, many more, much more to dig into and explore. Um, But I think now is a good time for a short break and we'll be right back. Here at Firestarter Interactive, we're proud members of the 1% for the Planet network of businesses, having made the commitment to donate 1% of annual revenue to environmental causes. So for every dollar that we earn, one cent goes back to planet Earth and our mission to make the world a greener, healthier place for our generation and for future generations. That's $1 of every $100, $10 of every thousand. It may not sound like a lot, but every dollar adds up and collectively we can and are making a huge impact. With 1% for the Planet members giving back more than $280 million and counting to the environment. Visit 1%fortheplanet.org. That's 1% for the Planet, all spelled out, to learn more. We hope you'll join us. So in doing some research for our conversation today, I came across an interview where you talk about the importance that you place on radical self-honesty and candor. Candor. Um, I'd love you to just, you know, reflect on that a little bit. It's definitely not for the faint of heart. I I would love to hear how you practice that in your own life, professionally and personally, you know, maybe both on a day-to-day basis as well as applying it to your life big picture. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, oh, there's a lot to talk about there. Um, I'll start off with uh, this idea of being honest with yourself first before you can truly be fully honest with anyone else, to be frank, Um, showed up for me um, in my, in my professional career and then the the coaching work that I do at the clearing specifically. So there is a, um, there's a tool a framework that we use in our coaching um, called the leadership circle, which is a, um, it's a 360 framework, meaning there's a, um, a self-assessment portion that someone completes for themselves. And then really critically, uh, there is a, um, a similar assessment that goes out to um, a number of individuals that that person actually identifies. So that could be um, colleagues, bosses, both current or former, uh, peers, uh, their direct reports, right? The people that um, report to them, um, et cetera. And the the reason that I bring this up is um, the leadership circle expresses the outputs or the outcomes of those um, surveys and assessments in a visual format. And 
Um, when I first learned about it, it was kind of this blinding shock of the obvious because the way that it's set up is uh, a visual overlay of here's how I think about and would quote rate myself in a variety of factors, things like um, um, empathy and uh, my desire to control my work, my life, um, et cetera, lots of other factors, right? Both um, creative competencies and reactive tendencies. Um, and it reflects those things with your own self-rating. And then really fascinatingly, at least for me, is how you rate yourself. And then that's stacked up and kind of compared to the way that other people responded to those exact same questions about you, right? So um, it's an exercise where you can immediately see at a moment's notice wow, um, the way that I think about myself with regard to my need to control something is radically aligned with the way that other people, you know, think about me for those same things, or there's this big, big gap, right? And then digging into that idea. So um, the when I actually went through that exercise before I got uh, certified with um, Leadership Circle, uh, there were some of those areas that just stood out to me. And it was kind of like, you know, um, uh, one, another one of those lightning bolts out of the clear blue sky, right? And, and saying, I have felt something or sensed something in this, you know, this area or that area of my own um, personality, the way that I think and communicate or approach my work and my life, but I've never been able to put my finger on it. And one of the ideas that I took out of that experience was, that there's this, um, for most of us, I think this shows up that there's a, we have um, our aspirational self, the version of ourselves that we like to broadcast out to the rest of the world, right? The image that we like to portray. Um, and then um, to a certain extent, our, our, our real selves, our true and honest selves, right? All of the um, weird warts and scars, so to speak, that we all have as people and human beings, right? All of our imperfections and the things that we're not so good at. And um, that idea of um, radical candor and kind of self-honesty, um, each day that goes by has become more and more important and apparent to me that, right, it's, it's one of those kind of make or break things. So that's something that I try to focus on um, a lot just in my you know, my personal life. And it's one of the ways that I like to really um, frame up and think about the coaching work that I do. It's also a, a pretty common thread in the book as well. So that is, um, that thread is kind of pulled through a few, a few of the ideas um, and something that shows up really big for me. How can big ideas, you know, be a, a real tool and vehicle for deeper self-awareness and discovery? Yeah, great question. I I, I think I referred to these ideas as tipping points um, a little bit earlier. So each of them has had a, a different but profound impact um, on my life in some way. Most of them have been bridges that kind of span across my, my work life, my professional life, and my personal life, right? They're, they're, connection, they're points of connection between those two different facets of who I am as a person. Um, Several of them have been um, pivot, big pivot points that have um, given me a new, a new mental model, a new way of thinking about something, maybe something that I was really stuck on. Um, and that idea, um, we talked a little bit about, about Ikigai earlier. Um, for a, a, a while in my career, I was really struggling with, I, I know how 
and with whom I can do good and important work, but I'm missing the connection back into uh, what is an intrinsic motivation and drive for me. What is my own personal purpose that I can connect back to um, a larger organizational mission or um, this is the goal or outcome we're after for this project. So that that big idea in particular um, was one way that I was able to kind of short circuit a lot of that um, really roundabout and circuitous thinking and uh, just the spinning of my own kind of personal and professional wheels. So I think any one of these ideas can be a um, at a minimum a a connection point or a bridge, and at a maybe at a maximum something that helps you make a, a, a huge leap, right? Even if it's just a big uh, a big mental leap from one point, um, helps you overcome a barrier, um, think about a, a problem or a challenge in a, in a new or creative way, and um, just hopefully kind of uh, ups your velocity, both personally and professionally, so to speak, in that way. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I know big ideas or ideas in general, like we can also limit ourselves with how we think about the world. Are there you know, how do we create limits where there don't need to be limits? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, it, it makes me think of uh, one of the quotes I, I'm a, a big lover of and collector of um, quotes uh, in addition to ideas, right? And so there's a, a number of quotes and also some song lyrics in the book um, that help just drive some of these points that I'm trying to make home for me. One of the quotes that I that I put in the book pretty early on, just because it felt so important um, and, and underpins the hypothesis, right? This hypothesis of democratization um, comes from an individual named Leila Jana, who um, founded two very successful um, social impact companies um, that employed people in uh, a places and pay them wages that were five to 10 to 20 times what they would have been able to make um, other, uh, it, it, otherwise. Um, and so her quote is, um, talent is equally distributed, opportunity is not. And those words um, really crystallized this, the importance of this idea of democratize, democratization. And I think that the limits that get placed on a lot of people um, sometimes are based on ideas. And sometimes there are these big structural societal limitations that are there through no faults of their own, right? Uh, but nonetheless, they have this huge impact on them. So that idea, right, that talent is equally distributed, but um, people's uh, ability to to flex those muscles and um, express their own talents and their their desires and and what they what really uh, makes them tick. Not everyone gets that opportunity, right? So um, I think the 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 limitations, um, mental models, structural societal models are all around us, and I think that. Um, coronavirus and COVID has only, sadly only magnified a lot of those inequities. And so um, these ideas, I hope, right, um, it, are, are ways that people can easily access some of that big, deep thinking. Um, and one quick plug that I'll make is the um, ebook version of, of my book um, is now and always will be 99 cents. So that was about the lowest that I could get it without giving it away, <laughs> um, uh, which uh lots of the outlets would not let me do for some reason. So at any rate, um, that, that was a very conscious, conscious decision on my part to try to get 
um, this thinking these ideas out into the hands of as many people as possible for as little as possible. Well, it's a beautiful book, but you know, so so owning the print copy is a special experience. But you know, everyone listening should should at minimum, you know, pick up a copy of the Kindle version because that's you know, I really appreciate that you have made it available. Um, what you know, what advice would you have to folks listening who? maybe early in, in their process of kind of self-discovery or maybe stuck along what they feel like is kind of resigned to maybe a career path with it, with it that they feel stuck in, but know that there might be something else on the horizon or someone who, you know, is later in their career, but, but contemplating a change, you know, what advice would you have to, to get in better alignment, you know, along their pathway? Yeah. Two, two things. And the first I would say, which we kind of started out with, right, is getting really tuned into your sense of curiosity. Um, as especially as I observe children, I am struck by how naturally, naturally curious kids are, right? They, they want to know things. They want to uh, learn what this weird thing smells like, tastes like, feels like. Um, and they use every tool that is available to them, right? They kind of bend their will and pull out all the stops to learn about this thing or that thing, or uh, why is the sky blue, right? There's that deep and abiding sense of curiosity present in children. And um, I've, I've been, again, really lucky to work with um, and interact with and care about a lot of people in my life who have that same, a really similar sense of curiosity as adults. And what happens is for whatever reason, that curiosity um, goes away, maybe it atrophies, maybe it's beaten out of us, right? Depending on uh, what our life is like, um, what our work is like, et cetera. But for whatever reason, a lot of us get away from that. And so one piece of advice I would give uh, to people, especially if you're relatively early on in your career, but really regardless of where you are, is tune back into that sense of curiosity um, and think about all of the ways in which you can do that, right? So it's not just reading or asking questions, although those are both great places to start, um, but remembering all of the tools that you have available to you, right? Um, a lot, of, one of the questions I ask in my coaching work is what does that feel like? How does that make you feel, et cetera, right? Different versions of that. And I all, all get like some wrinkled eyebrows because it's a strange question to ask people in a professional sphere or setting. Um, but I don't think it should be. So I would say get curious. Um, the other one that I would say is seek out the people and the organizations that um, are out there and available wherever you are to help you jumpstart what you what you care about and get help you get in touch with your personal purpose. Um, so that's that's something that I've again been very lucky with and um, is just available to different people in different ways. but those organizations are out there and those people are out, are out there right If you invest the time and the energy, um, ask the right questions of the right people, et cetera, um, that you can benefit from that too. That's great advice. And another way I like to think about curiosity is, you know, excitement, what excites you? What, where do you feel kind of a natural sense of energy and attraction, you know, because I think curiosity sometimes that can feel a little intellectual, feel a little bit like work to some people, but, you know, um, I think we all feel senses of excitement and kind of 
gravitational pull towards different areas. And so just really trying to tune into that. Absolutely. Well, we're running towards the end of our conversation here, but just a couple rapid fire questions before we conclude. Um, I'm also a quote collector, so I appreciate that we have that in common. Um, Is there a quote or even framework, you know, that, that you have carried with you in your life that really helps guide you? That's something that you continue to return to? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I'm glad, I'm glad I have a copy of the book here with me because, um, the, the very first quote, in fact, that is at the beginning of my introduction, um, comes back to that sense of self-honesty and curiosity, right? Which is this beautiful thread that I think we've pulled through, um, the conversation, um, it's from Ralph Waldo Emerson and it goes, what lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. And, um, that's one of my favorites, right? And one of the reasons why I've taken this deep dive into this really particular facet of management consulting that is coaching and this advisory work that I do, um, human beings are the most complex things in the world. (laughs) And, um, you could study another person probably your entire life and never know every single thing there is to know about them. Right. And that just, I think peaks that, that, um, that sense of curiosity I have, right. That four or five year old asking all of those why questions. So that's a quote from Emerson that has always stood out to me. And, uh, you know, it, a lot of that is sprinkled in the book. There's that, uh, liberal arts, uh, education shining through again, but, um, that's, that's one that, that that's big for me. Oh, I love that liberal, liberal, liberal arts, you know, philosophy of disconnecting and, you know, exploring many things. And I think it really, really shines through in your book. It's a really, you know, liberal arts at its best. So, um, and one more, you know, just reflection is, is there something that you hold true, know to be true within yourself now that you didn't know to be true at an earlier point in life and, and maybe you wish you knew a little bit sooner? Yeah, great question. Um, what stands out for me is, um, and this is a um, a guiding principle that most most good coaches are very upfront about, right? Um, which is that all of the answers lie inside of you, um, and I and realizing that about myself um, was a was a big shift for me. I think, like most people, right? And I still do this sometimes today, um, but we seek. Um, answers and insights and fulfillment externally, right? From other people, um, other sources and what have you. When in reality, all the answers that we are looking for to all of the questions that we have about um, ourselves and life and why this, why that, I don't understand X, Y, Z, all of those answers are are right in here, right? So um, that bit about the radical self-honesty, that's one of the reasons why I think that's so important is because it just gives you access and tunes you into some, some new and um, different things that could be a big shift in the way that you work and live. So that's, that, that's what stands out for me there. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap up our conversation. I mean, we could just go on and on all day. So I think we'll have to save it for a part two. But thanks so much for sharing this time together. And um, how can our listeners learn more about you, learn more about the clearing, and, and most importantly, find your book? Yeah, thanks for that. Um, so a few easy ways to do that. Um, first, uh, first for the clearing, um, I would hit our website, theclearing.com. Um it's a, a, a easy URL to remember. 
Um, we're named that for a very particular reason. It's an intentional uh, decision on our part. You can learn a lot more about us there. Um, the other thing that I will say is uh, in order to find the book, um, the best way to get a copy of that, of the ebook for 99 cents is still um, in, the, in the Kindle store on Amazon. So check it out there. Um, the book is also available on barnesandnoble.com um, on the website. Um, if you just search for all democratizing big ideas, um, I'm also investing a lot of energy into getting um, the hard copies. If you're in the DC area um, or anywhere close by listening in, um, putting a lot of energy into getting those into some really cool local bookstores as well. So that's where I would start. Um, and I would love to to talk to, to anyone out there who's uh, curious. Um, please reach out to me and I would love to continue the conversation. That's wonderful. Well, Looking forward to our part two, but in the meantime, Hans, just thank you so much and just stay safe and well and talk to you soon. Yeah, same to you, Will. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing another episode of the Firestarter podcast, people, ideas, and conversations that move us forward. If you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to the podcast, find show notes, as well as the video of today's show at firestarterix.com slash podcast. That's firestarterix.com slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Willa Kammerer. That's K-A-M-M-E-R-E-R and at firestarterix. And I'm Willa Kammerer on LinkedIn. This is the Firestarter Podcast. I'm your host, Willa Kammerer, and I can't wait to share our next conversation. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, Let's stay busy making the world a better place.